0: probably shouldn't even make mention of it, but I'm going to tell you guys. You've heard before, but I have crazy insomnia. I am convinced I slept less than an hour last night. So if I start having hallucinations or if I just fall over, somebody come save me and fill in. My brother-in-arms, Reed and Connor Clements, know we talk a lot about it. <clears throat> we have competitions of who gets the less sleep, so they relate to me. Um So a couple quick things before I jump into my sermon. I uh, announced last week that we're doing just kind of this quick last-minute initiative, Hattie's Dry Goods. This was a contact from Clay at Bonton Farm. A woman, Hattie, that's retired now lives right next to Bonton. She collects dry goods like diapers and uh, wipes and baby bottles for uh, single mothers and grandmothers that are watching kids that don't have help and don't have the means to be able to afford that stuff. And uh, I thought that's an easy thing for us to provide. And so I know a few people brought that this morning, um, but Clay can go over there anytime. So there's not really like a deadline for us. So if you wanted to do that, or you weren't here last week and didn't hear that, the diapers that they need are from sizes newborn up to size six, and then wipes and baby bottles are pretty easy. So if you'd like to do that, you can do that again next week. Uh, and just find clay or find me and we'll uh, take him off your hands. So there's that. The other thing is <clears throat> a couple other things I want to mention. So number 1, I just wanted to thank you guys for praying for me and my wife with our pregnancy. I don't want to say a lot about it. Most of you already have kind of heard we're in a high risk pregnancy. It's a monochorionic monoamniotic pregnancy. You've probably never heard of that. I hadn't either. But we have defied all of the odds. So we did IVF and we transplanted one embryo and that split into two. And that's like a 1% chance. Then having a monoamnionic pregnancy, basically they're sharing the same sac. There's no amnion that is like a dividing wall separating them. So there's high risk of their cords and compression, like getting entangled, things like that. And that's like a, I don't know, if I was reading correctly, like a 0.4% chance. So... It's a bit scary, but the thing that I've just felt like the whole time is uh, that um, God brought us here, and and I trust that He is going to see us through. I have no illusions that, you know, as a believer, we're not barred from tragedy. Tragedy may strike, but either way, I believe God's good. But the thing that's given me a lot of peace is just knowing that you guys are praying for me, and it's really helped us. It's you know, I, I really feel like it's another thing from God that he's just let us be at peace and not panic. Some of you maybe heard, it's hard to remember, maybe I even already said it last week, but we had a kind of a big scare uh, a couple weeks ago and had to rush to the ER and we're afraid we were having a miscarriage, but turns out everything was great. And uh, so, yeah, God's just been with us the whole time and really kept us from panic. And so, yeah, I appreciate you guys a lot. And I'll be using a lot of you for babysitting. So some of you may know this, but... We're about 17 weeks pregnant. Here in about seven weeks, our plan is to have Jamie and go to the hospital, and she will stay there until we do a C-section. They may do an emergency C-section within a week, or she may be there 10 weeks. They really don't want her to have the babies in her longer than 32 weeks. And the preference would be that they would stay up till 28 weeks. So for those that are praying, those are kind of some of the specifics that we would like. Court entanglement and that um, she's able to go to the hospital and the babies are strong and healthy and stay in there for 28 weeks. So, yeah, God is good. <clears throat> the other thing is my mom texted me uh, just a minute ago and said we should probably pray for the Allen shooting victims. Um, if you hadn't heard, there was a, a shooting at the Allen Outlet Mall uh, just yesterday. Yesterday? Day before yesterday? See, I'm tired. It's all it's all cloudy. Um, I think there was one person that lost their life and like nine injured. I don't remember. Seven or eight people that lost their lives? Wow. Yeah, and one was a little, little kid. Yeah, just it's hard to wrap your mind around that evil, but let's pray for them. God, we love you so much. And uh, I just pray that you can heal the evil and the anger in the world, that the people that are struggling with that, struggling with thoughts of violence and and, uh, demons in their ear, I just pray that you give them people. I pray that you give them a way out. I just pray that uh, as we face senseless tragedy that you can uh, remind us of your goodness, remind us of your justice, and that we can leave that in your hands and that we... Uh, remain steadfast in knowing who you are and what you're doing and what you're going to do. I just pray, especially for these families right now, that you give them uh, just peace that transcends understanding, uh, that you help them to lean on you and look to you uh, to get through this, and that you help their communities and family and friends around them. And uh, I just pray that you heal what seems like the unhealable. We love you. Amen. Amen. So today, we're in the second week of our new series, Seeing Jesus. Last week, Ronnie talked to us a little bit about the heart of one-on-one ministry. Anybody that's been around here long knows kind of our axiom, one-on-one is how it's done. When we look at the life of Jesus, He was extremely relational, He was extremely deliberate and intentional with people, and uh, worked with them on a one-on-one basis to really build them up and help them understand God and, and uh, follow Him. And uh, so that's something we really try to imitate. I mean, Ronnie has done a tremendous job, and many leaders that have followed to, to set that that vision for us. And, and I know ch- our church has bought into that. This is something we've talked a great deal about. Um, but we'll continue to talk about it. You know, we talk a lot about this idea that if we want to be excellent in things, that we've got to perfect the basics and uh, continue to practice those and hone those skills. And so that's <laughs> what we're going to do today. So today's topic is really about one-on-ones inside community. Garrett's going to talk next week about one-on-ones outside community. And the way that we kind of saw that is today would really be more about maturing disciples in the community um, as opposed to evangelizing non-believers per se and bringing them in. And so I didn't want to spend a lot of time on discipleship, but I know we've got a lot of people kind of from different backgrounds and some of these terms can get confusing. And so uh, I won't go in great depth, but I want to talk a little bit about just what discipleship is. I just said, discipleship put simply is deliberately helping one another to grow in conformity to Christ. I think one of the things I hear people getting confused about a lot, especially in our community, is this uh, uh, the difference between discipleship and mentorship. And especially as we try to influence each other on a peer level, it gets confusing when we we start thinking like, oh, the expectation is that I'm mentoring them. And uh, so I wanted to just kind of very briefly uh, try to move away some of the smoke on that. But I would say in my estimation, they're not synonymous. We're not all going to be mentors and we're certainly not all commanded to be mentors. We're not all fit to be mentors. I just said, I think it's safe to say that mentorship should always include discipleship, but not all discipleship is going to involve mentorship per se. There's a lot of overlap, but when I think of mentorship, to me, it's people that have wisdom, that have the wisdom of God, are able to help people in particular situations, whether that's a a sin struggle or that's a a situational issue, um, that we're able to help people navigate through that stuff. Discipleship, in my mind, is something that we're all commanded to and called to. It's, I am striving to be more like Christ in every area of my life, and to imitate Him, to know Him, to be in relationship with Him. In all of my relationships, to the degree, wherever I am, relative to wherever I am, I'm going to call people to do the same. Does that make sense? Nobody's off the hook on that. I think that we as a church could agree in two simple truths. You're never going to outgrow your need for discipleship, and you're never going to outgrow the command to be a disciple. It's about being people of God that aim for the fullness of God for ourselves and those has called us and those God has called us into relationship with. I think of Philippians three thirteen to fourteen here. Many of us will be familiar with this. I'll read it. He just says, "Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do: forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus." I think it begs a pretty simple question. Are we still pressing on toward the goal with the intensity of a runner trying to win the prize? Are we pressing on others to run along with us so that they too can win the prize? I don't think many of us would lay claim that we've already received this prize that Paul has talked about, right? But I think when we look in our lives, many of us, it kind of looks like we're resting on our haunches. Maybe at one time we were quite purposeful with some of our relationships, and as time has gone on for various reasons, we've got a little less than purposeful with our own striving to God and trying to help our other brothers and sisters strive on to God. I don't think often our actions are very compatible with what we lay claim to. Amen? All of us should be either in the midst of being discipled by another or discipling another ourselves, And I would say many of us should be in the midst of both disciples make disciples and disciples don't stop being discipled. Ronnie spoke last week about the heart of one-on-one ministry as I was talking about and part of what's at the heart of this is to be a body of believers who are mature in what we believe. I think of several scriptures. There's a lot more. This is not comprehensive, but I'll just throw a few out. So 1 Corinthians 14:20. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children in regard to evil be infants and in your thinking be adults. 1 Peter 2, 2-3 Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. and Hebrews 6, 1 Therefore let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Think like adults. Crave pure spiritual milk and move beyond elementary teachings. Do these describe you? Where are you in that process? I would also say it's easy to think of discipleship, I think, at an elementary level for some of us, that discipleship is just something we do to non-believers. I think that relatively, we as a church do a phenomenal job at discipleship within our community and outside of our community. I was just thinking back there while we were singing how proud I am to be in a community that disciples. And not only proud, just grateful grateful that i 've had so many people disciple me, and I know, as I know many of you would echo, I needed multiple people. I needed a community i need I needed people with different skills and nif- different per- perspectives to get through to my hard head and hard heart at times um, and I kind of made mention to it earlier, but I would just again thank Ronnie for his leadership you know he 's told us time and time again that when we ordained him it was as an evangelist and anybody that knows Ronnie knows he has a heart for people he has a vision for people and uh, you know the the thing that I would just say to you Ronnie is you know I, I know that as you get older and you step back um, you know the the amount of heart and blood and sweat and tears that you've invested into this, you want to see that it's going to continue. And I can confidently tell you that in that regard it will. But just because we're good at something doesn't mean that there's not room for growth. Amen? I think many of us maybe haven't started this. We've let ourselves off the hook. And some of us have become a little less than purposeful. Some of us that are being purposeful, we still have room to become more purposeful. And so I would hope that you would hear what I have to say today. This is going to be scary, but I promise it's not. I've got eight guiding principles. These are not eight points, just eight guiding principles. I'm going to move painfully fast. It goes against everything in me. I'm going to move painfully fast. There's not a lot that's novel here. These are things that you know. I just want to plant some seeds. Um, in your brain for you to think about and pontificate on your own time and your own devotionals and then also in your small groups and your own relationships that you can flesh these out further and delve into them. Something that's been encouraging to me is, um, you know, this last few months, I've I've heard that more and more of the small groups have been going over our sermon material. And that's really neat. I'm glad that you guys are doing that because we're geniuses. And so, so the rest of the time, I just really want to answer the simple question. Garrett was the one that had fleshed out this sermon series. We kind of kind of take turns doing that. And uh, so for this one, I, I called him a couple days ago and just asked him what his vision was. And he said he really wanted me to answer this question. This is how, how I heard it, Garrett. So if it's different, um, I apologize. But how do you have ongoing, meaningful, maturing, one-on-one relationships within the community? And so eight guiding principles, not comprehensive. Number one, to give words of life. You must first seek them yourself. No duh, right? I found this neat quote by a seminary professor, Dr. Howard Hendricks, and he said, you cannot impart what you do not possess. You cannot impart what you do not possess. I think we all know this principle, don't we? But we lose sight of it. I know for me, when I was young, you've heard me talk a lot about my foolishness from young years, but... You know, I think many can relate to this. As somebody that grew up in the church, I thought I knew a lot more than I did. I don't think I was overtly prideful, but there was certainly pride involved. But I think more of it was just naivety and ignorance. Um, I'd spent a lot of time around people talking about God. I'd spent a lot of time around people talking about Scripture, and I thought I really had a good handle on it. And it wasn't until later in life that I became a good student that I realized how ignorant I was. And the more I study, as you've heard many people say, the dumber I feel. But I I can tell you the impact of me becoming a good student, falling deeper in love with Scripture, falling in love with the interpretation of Scripture, and wanting it for myself has really allowed me to uh, guide the people I disciple with so much better. It's, it's, it's scary to think what that would look like if I had never learned to become a good student. And I think you, uh, Brandon and Ronnie and the other good students in my life that have uh, given me a good vision of that. If you're not making a concerted effort to grow in Christ, then you can't much help someone else in that process. The Lord wants all of His disciples to help in the cause of making other disciples, and this requires a knowledge of Him and what He teaches us. I think, again, we know this truth too. People catch on pretty quick if you really love the Scripture, if you really know it. And they catch on pretty quick if it's something that has really impacted you and changed you, right? Because that's what people really want. They want to know, is this true? Does it really change lives? Does it really change hearts? Can I really change? Can I really live according to this? They need to see that. That's why we tell people, you know, we we want to become more knowledgeable. But the thing that's most powerful is just a heart that's been changed for God. If your heart's been changed for God and you've given your life to God, you can do discipleship. You know enough to change the world, as we like to say. Maybe as I like to say. Does anybody else say that? I don't know, but... We've talked about this as well. This is pretty elementary, but I would just say if if you've not instituted Scripture in the Word of God and just learning in general as a part of your life, you have to understand it's just something that you choose to do. You just choose to cultivate it. I've mentioned this book before and I I would offer it as a recommendation, but James K., uh, Smith or K.A. Smith, something like that. He wrote this neat book just called You Are What You Love. And that's something he talks a lot about is that we can choose our loves. You just invest. You spend your time doing it and you, you grow in appreciation for it. Those doubts, those intimidations, all of that stuff fades away the more time you spend with it. So I would encourage you uh, to do that. And then the other thing is I would encourage you to ask yourself, do you have a thirst to really change the hearts and minds of other people? It's easy to say, yeah, I I want to influence other people for Christ, but do you really thirst for that? I know for me personally, that was one of the things that really helped me turn around becoming a good student is that I finally realized there was a large discrepancy with my attitude about school, my study habits, and the way that I was uh, engaging with church and community and what I thought was possible, that I could be a poor student here and be a good student over here they're just not compatible. You just can't do it. You can't do it. The one bleeds into the other. And so, yeah, I would just encourage you, do you have a thirst for other people? Do you have a thirst to really influence them? The second one is do life together. Share your homes and in, in your families. This, again, I think is something we do relatively well. But fold people into your life. One of the things that I really am passionate about now that I have kids is letting my family love the people I'm discipling and not just me loving them. I think about, I don't see uh, Josh Brown here today. You center if you're watching. But um, uh, JB's become one of my dearest friends. And one of my favorite things is just teaching my little girls to go and hug and and give Josh a kiss on the cheek. You know, we'll, we'll, form, we'll uh, record a little video And send it to Josh saying, hey, buddy, miss you, you know, straight from the girls. What's more endearing and powerful than getting a little kiss on the cheek from a toddler? Right. That's why I love, you know, this is something that that we've not talked a ton about here. But in the the recent years, because of uh, darn COVID, but, uh, you know, Ronnie, I think for a long time, did a really good job of greeting people with a, a, a holy kiss. He did that with us growing up. And as a result, I was never shy or embarrassed to get a kiss from my dad. And I'm still not shy or embarrassed to give a kiss to my dad. On the cheek or on the lips. That sounds weird to people. But it's not weird. It's not weird. Jesus loved people and He loved them with a great, pure holiness. And we need to learn to show proper affection to people to let them know we love them. I want to teach my girls to love people. My parents taught me to, to make people feel really welcome, and that's something I'm really passionate about today, that I think that we as a community can grow in, that when you see people, that you light up, and they see that you light up, right? Right? Use your house as a place to host. Go on vacations together. Share your hobbies together. Even if it's not your deal, let it become your deal because they're your deal. Don't relegate discipleship to a one hour a week time together. This one, you know, I, I know as we've ventured into a new phase, and I've had to, to, to kind of hear a lot of Jamie and struggles. Um, being a mom, trying to figure out how to deal with the exhaustion. I was so naive prior to being a parent. Being a parent is exhausting. It's exhausting. Being a mom or a dad that stays home with your kids, you just feel beat up. And it's the greatest joy. Jay and I would both say that. We've both had to stay at home with the kids all day before. It is my greatest blessing. But it is brutal. It's brutal, and you guys know what I mean. That's probably why God made them so cute, because, man, it is brutal. (laughs) But it can be really hard when you have these these difficult routines, or perhaps you're somebody that has a weird work routine, or you have to travel a lot to have this very systematic, airtight um, routine in place. But guys, discipleship is not limited by that. Bring people into your routines. Invite them over, and as you do your laundry for your kids, even if you're tired, get time together. Invite them into your life. It really is not as complicated as we often make it. And I get it. When we're with our people, we want to be our best. We want to be all there. You know, these last few years, especially when I was teaching and I was doing uh, ministry, I was just ground into dust. And so, you know, my morning I'd get up at 6.30 and I'd go till 9.30 at night. And when I would meet with somebody, I just found myself constantly apologizing, saying, I'm just so sorry, you're getting the bottom of the barrel here. You know, for whatever reason, I, I, I felt the need to kind of preface that, but I wanted them to know that I wanted to be there and I wish I could give them more. But to me, I think sometimes that says a lot more than showing up fresh. It says that I know that... You would love to be at home with your kid. You would love to be at home and be in bed. But you chose to drive to me. You know, that was something It's like Xavier. I learned this through good models from, again, Ronnie and people like JVR since he was my teen minister. Um, you know, the, that we don't just meet people in the middle, especially with teens. We, we meet them far beyond the middle. You know, I was living in LaVon and Xavier was in um, Frisco. So after a long day at school, I would have to spend 45, 50 minutes driving there, spend a couple hours with them, and then drive home. Many of you know what that's like. We've got a room full of disciples here, but you know how difficult that is and how easy it is to say, uh, hey, let's skip this week. I'm just drained. Hey, let's skip this week. I've really got to go home and work on a couple things, whatever. Are there appropriate times to do that? Of course but we put so much blood, sweat, and tears into our hobbies and other things and allow so much discomfort in our life and often we don't allow the same discomfort for the kingdom of God. I don't want my discomfort in other things to match my discomfort here. I'm far more willing to be uncomfortable for the kingdom of God than for anything else. Amen? Fight your battles together. Share that stuff. I've had to tell people through the years, share stuff with me. I understand it feels noble to say I want to spare that from you, but you know, and I don't want to add to your weight, you've got this other stuff already. Guys, we want to know that. One of the one another commands is that we bear each other's burdens. We need to help each other stand up and carry those crosses. The next one is just be willing to cause some discomfort for the sake of growth. A major part of believing in people and being their fan is just being willing to call them higher and call them deeper. I think we'd all agree grace and humility needs to reign supreme, but we can't wait until we think we're going to have perfect grace and perfect humility and perfect tact to challenge our brothers and sisters. I'm probably jumping around on my notes here, but you know, one of the things I think a lot about is just the whole principle of love covers over a multitude of sin. You earn the right to mess up with people by loving them really well. That's why sharing your life together and speaking positive affirmations, which I think is another one of my points, is so important. When you do that purposefully and consistently, you allow yourself to be able to have some space to challenge them. And often, people are really thankful for it because they don't get it anywhere else. I I gave a challenge to a brother the other day that I didn't feel like was the most eloquent thing. It was the end of the day. It was kind of hard. I struggled whether to give it to him because... I've not gotten to spend a a great deal of time with this brother, but I felt like God wanted me to at least broach it on some level. And on the way home, I got a text from him just thanking me for that. And it's easy to leave thinking, man, you know, they want nothing to do with that. But that's not the case. People do want to be challenged. They do want to see their flaws. But they also want to see people that believe in them. I think one of the things that gets hard with one-on-one relationships within the, within the community is as we grow in relationship, it's really easy to want to protect each other from challenge and discomfort, Is it not? I was talking about this um, you know, with uh, Preston, well I was talking about it with Jamie Ann, just about Preston and Clay in particular. That as we do ministry together and as we've grown in deep relationship, it's hard for me to want to challenge them. And I know it's hard for them to want to challenge me. I told them from the get-go as we started working together that I respected them and I wanted them to feel comfortable in challenging me. This is a uh, two-way relationship in that regard, that I want to be discipled by them just as well. And and I know that gets easy to, to let slide, but we have to continue to be purposeful in that regard. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. And I think that's fitting because we are already doing that. But let's continue to do it and perfect that. Be their biggest fan. We, we say this a lot around here. Don't be another critic. Look for ways to build people up. i got to move way quicker. Um, it's not terribly encouraging to only receive criticism. A no duh again even if it's well-attended and even if it's accurate, it just can be very discouraging. We've got to give positive affirmations along the way. And this is something that I would really stress on the men because it's not very fashionable for men to do a lot of this. But we need to. That's something that, you know, I would mention JB again, Josh Brown. He's done a tremendous job with me. Although as I was doing FOJ with him and discipling him, I was really surprised by how much he was discipling me in turn. As I would say things and he felt like maybe it was expressing lack of confidence or lack of belief in myself, he would stop and he would really do his best to speak, speak to those things and help me see myself in a positive light. And I really, really appreciate that. That really says a lot about his heart. But I think that also says a lot about the heart of Jesus. Ronnie talks a lot about building them up to others. The people that we're in relationship with and disciple discipling, build them up to, up to other people. Be a sponsor for them. Ronnie does this tremendously well with, with the staff and with the other ministers, you know, allowing us to get up and give sermons that early on were terrible. I think I've told you this, but one time he told me that I went from a four to an eight in my ability to give sermons. I'm like, oof, I don't... I don't disagree. Probably some of those sermons, giving me a four was, was a, a little bit generous. But the fact that he would allow that and then even beyond that still support me to other people says a lot about the way that he, he saw me and loved me and believed in me. And I know that many of you have been on that receiving end. Does that make sense? Be a sponsor for people. Know their victories and not just their hurts and celebrate with them. I think another thing that's, that's uh, I know I'm harping on the guys here, but I think another thing that can be tempting for guys is as we get together and we celebrate our victories, whether that's in sports or whatever, it's easy to kind of let this competitive nature kick in, and then we build ourselves up and remind them that we're better than them at that. Guys, it's okay to think you're better at something, and we don't always have to tell people that. Let them have their moment. The next one is just be deliberate. And really, all of these in some form or fashion are about being deliberate. But initiate, initiate and seek people out. I would say not only women, but again, harping on the guys here, Not although this is a positive thing, guys want to be pursued too. I had a conversation with uh, one of the guys I'm in FOJ with that told me last week one of the things that frustrates him is he doesn't feel like guys pursue him. Guys want to be pursued. This is not some like feminine sentiment, right? It's not weakness. It's not softness. It's a human desire. We need and want to be desired. We want to know that people want to be with us. People want to know that you value them. Jesus was very deliberate in the way that he saw people, the way he responded to people, the way that he asked them questions very deliberate in building them up and calling them higher. The thing I would say about this is just ongoing purposefulness is really making sure, and it takes a lot of perception and a lot of prayer, but seeking to build people up in very specific ways. Where is the person that you're in relationship with and where do they stand to grow? What's their next step and what can you do to call them to the next step? And then pray for them. Pray about them specifically. The next one is just don't stop asking purposeful questions. Learn each other's stories. Guys, people's stories are ongoing and they don't stop. I think this is one of the saddest things is we get with people in the first month or two, often the first meeting or two even. We get to know their stories and then we stop asking about it. Continue to ask really purposeful questions. It's kind of hard to give practicals here because the questions are endless, but... You know, what are you learning? What are you excited about? How's your relationship with Jesus? What are you struggling with? What is God challenging you on? How can I support you? How can I be praying for you? I think it's easy to come up with a ton of questions, and I want to encourage you to do that. I think I've talked about this here as many others have I think one of the things that we stop doing, especially as FOJ, if we're doing some formal study with somebody, it's really easy to get uh, less than purposeful after that, and we stop planning for the time. We'll plan for an FOJ, but then we don't plan for the other times. Those can be as purposeful as you make it. One thing I've started doing, you know, because I, like many of you, meet with lots of people and have lots of different types of relationships, I've started making a notepad for each of those people in my phone, and I I write my prayers, and I write the things that I, I want to help them grow in, and I want to challenge them, that I want to celebrate or affirm them in, and it's really helped me to be a lot more purposeful. So that's something you might take up. Two quick other ones. It's just vision cast. If you desire to call people higher and deeper, you need to be able to help them see what they fail to see. We need people to believe in us because we don't often believe in ourselves, said this before but we'll say it again I think that most people take the next step in their faith because somebody gave them a vision for it somebody called them higher whether that's at work or um, that's some sort of like uh, you know so like for example like we went rock climbing the other day I am not a climber I am not a climber Um, and I was joking with Clay because you know he's a better climber than me but we were joking about him kind of being like a boulder climbing a boulder If you know him, he's just a big, strong dude. But he crushed it. He's a strong dude. Um, And then JB showed up and crushed everybody, and he had never climbed before. So I don't know what that's about. He's a prodigy. But I just think about some of those things. You get up to a hold, and you're scared to move to the next one. You don't think you can do it. You don't think you can reach. You think you're going to fall. And then you've got people behind you saying, no, you can reach it. Do this. And if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have reached for the other one. I don't like heights. I don't want to fall. I was not made to fall, I'm pretty sure, and land on my back or head or butt. But people are willing to do that when you believe in them and you give them a vision and you call them higher. This is a hard one, guys, because it takes a lot of prayer. It takes a lot of thoughtfulness. Which, again, just speaks to the neat need to to plan our 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 time with people and then the last one is play the long game we've long had this axiom in our church base hits versus home runs and i think that this is uh very fitting for this point because discipling people can be very frustrating being discipled ourselves can be very frustrating for others we don't grow at the rate that people want us to grow and vice versa um Sometimes we backslide. It, it can be easy to take offense when we've been trying to have good intent for somebody and we're sharing advice and telling them what to do and they just can't seem to do it or they disregard it altogether. It can be easy just to kind of toss it out the window and be like, oh, okay. Now, I'm not saying there's not times to, to have conversations with people and, and set disciplings or studies aside, but often I think it just comes from this this personal frustration and we want to jump jump ship because it's not happening the way that we want it to. It's easy to get this ideal of the ultimate disciple on our head. And while I think it's good to shoot for that, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, we have to have a realistic understanding of what people are capable of and where they are. This is something that Ronnie really helped me see through the years as I was trying to um, call my youth workers higher and get the best out of them. Sometimes he would just say, I think you're already getting the best out of that person. And it helped me really decipher between the ideal and what's realistic so I don't burn people out. That takes a lot of discernment and, again, a lot of prayer and a lot of questioning. But sometimes you're getting the best from that person at that time, so don't jump ship. I think of Jesus in just his few years with his his disciples how insanely frustrating that would have been. and I, But I also think about the consequences if he had bailed on any one of them. The aim should be just to get the best out of people. What's the best they can give and perhaps already giving it. So in conclusion, moving on from there, I would just say pray, seek, and ask. If you don't have somebody that you're discipling and you would like to disciple somebody, you feel like... Um, You don't have one of those relationships. Maybe that's a study. Maybe that's not a study. I would say, number one, pray about it. Number two, get with another leader. I was talking about that with another brother within the last few months. He felt like God had kind of done a lot with him and was moving him him into a place where he could influence some other people, but he didn't even know where to begin. He didn't know how to think about that. That's an okay place to start. Get with somebody in the church and ask. All right, sweet. That's all I got. I'm going to pray there. God, we love you so much. And the people, are we going to do one last song? It's 1127. You want to scratch it? Do it? Okay, song people, coming up. We got one last song. God, I just want to pray a blessing over our church. I just thank you for uh, the hearts and minds in this room. I thank you for the way that your people have uh, invested in the kingdom. And I just pray that you continue to bless them for that. I just pray you continue to um, give us a higher vision and a higher calling that you allow us to, to stretch ourselves more than we have in the past, um, that you help us reassess our relationships and that we can be um, increasingly purposeful in those, that we can really strive to be the best for you that we can be and that as we strive to follow you that we can really call others to pursue us uh, as we pursue you and that uh, we can just be a community that really is like a light on the hill, that when the world looks at the, us, that they... they They want you to be true. They want you to be real and they want to be a part of a community like this. We love you. Amen.